0: Listen, welcome to Ohio Mysteries. We will get to our story in a moment, but first, Paula and I would like to thank all of you for your continued support. If you are new to our podcast, the best ways to support us is to tell a family member or a friend. Leave a five-star review and also consider becoming a Patreon member by going to patreon.com slash ohiomysteries. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Ohio Mysteries. Now, let's throw another log on the fire, campers. Let's dig up a new Ohio mystery. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with us as always, is Our storyteller and award winning journalist who spent 30 plus years at the Akron Beacon Journal writing stories just like this, Paula Schleiss.
1: Hi, everybody. Several times we have reported on the amazing work being done in forensic genealogy, but we haven't told you everything. Over the next two episodes, we're going to catch up a bit. There are several genealogy labs that do the work of comparing DNAs to the missing branches of family trees in order to solve age-old riddles. We're going to focus on the work of one of them, Othram, Inc., and how they've given names to several unidentified homicide victims from Ohio in just the past 12 months. Tonight, we'll share with you the story of three people whose families have been missing them for decades. In the world of true crime, that qualifies as good news. Then, come back Wednesday, and we'll share another three, John and Jane Doe's, who have had their names restored by Othram this past year. Of course, identifying a victim just means the case gets moved to a new folder. Police now have to try and figure out who killed them and why. It remains to be seen if we'll ever get the answers to that, but we can at least feel some sense of good and that these Ohioans are no longer anonymous remains lying forgotten in an unmarked grave. For nearly half a century, the family of Florence Charleston wondered what had happened to her. The Cleveland woman, who had gone by the childhood nickname of Dolly, relocated to Portland, Oregon in the early 1970s with a boyfriend. The last anyone had heard from her was 1978. There's no indication a missing persons report was ever filed. Those who knew her guess that since she had moved away, she had also simply moved on. For 45 years, though, a generation of nieces and nephews asked their parents, what happened to Aunt Dolly? Just last week, Nevada State Police answered that question. Dolly hadn't chosen to lose touch with her family. She had been murdered 45 years ago. It was October 26, 1978, when the Pershing County Sheriff's Office in Nevada received a call. Human remains had been found in a remote area about 13 miles west of Imlay. Imlay's a tiny town, about a square mile in size, with a population of just 200 people, a full two hours away from bustling Reno, Nevada. The body was heavily decayed, stuffed into a garment bag, and buried in a shallow grave off Scosa Road. Police recovered some women's clothing from the bag, a dark green sweater with a white safety pin attached to the front, dark green trousers, and a long-sleeved pink sweater. An autopsy conducted at the Washoe Center in Reno painted a vague description the victim was white, maybe 5 foot 5 with red or auburn hair, probably left-handed. They also guessed her at middle age, maybe 40 to 50 years old. In May of 1979, Nevada State Police detectives joined the investigation and contributed a digital facial reconstruction to show what the victim might have looked like. They compared dental records with other missing persons' cases. They looked for clues that might be hidden in that clothing, but nothing came of it. Much later, the case was entered in the National Missing and Unidentified Person System, NAMUS, as Case UP-17848. And some tips did come in, but police followed every lead. They got nowhere. The body was too decomposed to reveal a cause of death, and the investigation into who had killed the mysterious woman went nowhere fast. Investigators will tell you a pretty key ingredient to solving a homicide is to know the victim's name. Then they can interview friends, family, acquaintances, put together a timeline of activity perhaps come up with a motive. Years passed, but the woman in the garment bag was never forgotten. In March of 2022, Nevada authorities and that national database, NamUs, teamed up with Othram, Inc., which applies new DNA technology to develop a DNA profile for the unidentified woman. Then Othram's genealogy team built a family tree around the profile by identifying family members whose DNA had been voluntarily submitted to online genealogy databases. Eventually, the family tree a genealogy expert put together revealed a missing branch, a woman named Florence Charleston in Cleveland. Authorities found two nieces still living in Ohio. One of them, Diane Liggett, told reporters she learned the news in April. She said she was on her way out of the house when the phone rang. She peeked at the number. It was an out-of-state phone. But she felt compelled to answer it anyway. On the other end was Nevada State Police Detective Sean Kester. Kester said he wanted to talk to her about a set of 45-year-old human remains that they'd found. Diane's immediate response was, You found my Aunt Dolly? Diane told Fox News in Cleveland that she was 18 when her Aunt Dolly went missing. She often wondered, Was she happy or not? Was she safe? All these questions I had, and it turns out, She was dead. Well, not just dead, but murdered, violently. Diane said, We're relieved because we finally know something, but God, we can't stand that anybody could kill her. She was too good of a person. Everybody loved her. So, one mystery down, but one still to go. What happened to Dolly? Who killed her? disposed of her in that garment bag. And how did she end up in Nevada, 535 miles from where she had relocated in Oregon? The coroner got Dolly's age wrong. She wasn't 40 to 50 years old. She was about 68. A picture of her shows a beautiful woman with soft gray hair and a perfect smile holding a little girl another of her nieces, Donna. Niece Diana told Fox News, every kid should have an aunt like her. She was great in every way. Diane is now close to the age her aunt was when she was killed. Investigators say they will investigate her death, and Diane said she only hopes to live long enough to find out the rest of the story. September of 1987, 71-year-old Charles Humphreys and his 11-year-old grandson Jason went squirrel hunting in Youngstown, specifically in a wooded area off Liberty Road near Mount Hope Cemetery. But what should have been a happy memory of generational bonding turned into something much darker. They came across a human skull and a handful of other bones lying in the weeds. Youngstown police responded and went to work trying to figure out who the bones belonged to. The anthropology department at Youngstown State University offered to help out, and what they came up with was that the individual was likely a black man between 30 and 44 years old. They estimated the bones had lain in those woods for up to five years. But there was no evidence, no indication at all of who he was, why he was in the woods, or how he'd died. Over the next three decades, other anthropology students at YSU had seen the skull in the school's laboratory. One of those students, Alyssa Yelkin, could never get those bones out of her mind She had gone to school there in the early 2000s, and by 2021, she was a mother with children of her own. She kept thinking that those remains she had seen were someone's loved one, someone's child. She would say later at a news conference, We have all met someone in our lives that stick with us. You can't forget them. In the early 2000s, I saw my person in a forensic anthropology class. He wasn't sitting next to me, though. Rather, he was in front of me in what appeared to be a lost-and-found box with the most amazing smile I'd ever seen. I wondered forever who he was. I wondered what he looked like, and he haunted me. Alyssa called police to remind them of that skull over at YSU. She actually had to call several times to find someone willing to take her seriously. Finally, she found a willing listener in Detective Sergeant David Sweeney. Sweeney went and retrieved the skull, submitted it and the bones to BCI to attempt to get a DNA profile. Thanks to the fact that the skull still had its teeth, it worked, and Youngstown's John Doe became UP85707 in the NamUs database. BCI also worked on a facial reconstruction of the skull. Forensic artist Sam Molnar had a CT scan done of the skull to generate a three-dimensional image, which was then printed on a 3D printer. The bus reconstruction was created over a plastic replica of the skull so that the actual skull could be preserved as evidence. In August of 2022, the reconstruction was done and Youngstown John Doe's face was revealed to the world. Well, at least their best guess of what he looked like at the time of his death The public announcement was accompanied by a plea for information from anyone who might recognize him. Police distributed flyers around town with a picture of the facial reconstruction. But this was another case where the genealogy experts at Othram were going to be needed. The Porchlight Project, a nonprofit founded in 2018 to raise private funds to do genetic genealogy on Ohio cases, offered to pay for the work. In February of 2023, Youngstown John Doe was given a new name. He was Robert Earl Sanders, and he wasn't in those woods for just five years He'd been reported missing on August the 13th, 1976, 11 years before those remains had been found and 47 years before he was identified. Robert was 22 years old in 1976 and living in Youngstown on Parkwood Avenue. A relative had reported seeing Sanders about four days before his disappearance, Youngstown police investigated, but no leads came to fruition. Now that they have Robert's ID, police can go to work trying to figure out the cause and manner of his death. As one detective pointed out, 1976 was a long time ago, but many of the 20-somethings who would have known Robert should certainly still be alive today. There's one extra twist in this story, a pretty significant one. In August of 2022, when the state revealed the facial reconstruction of Youngstown John Doe, police got a call from a Cincinnati man who told them the bus looked like his friend, Teddy Long, from Toledo. Well, it wasn't. Long was white, Forensic experts were certain the skull from Youngstown belonged to a black man. But Detective Sweeney reported everything he'd learned from the Cincinnati man to BCI. The BCI was able to acquire fingerprints from the missing Theodore Long, and lo and behold, it matched another John Doe case that the BCI was working on at that time remains that had been found in Fayette County. No forensic genealogy was needed for that one. The bust of Robert Earl Sanders ended up solving two mysteries. One final case tonight. For this one, we're going back 30 years to May of 1992 and in Indiana, about 25 miles northwest of Indianapolis. The Boone County Sheriff's Office received a call from a local farmer. Donnie Lawson found a body in his field. A young woman who appeared to have been dumped near the ramp that takes traffic from State Route 47 on to Interstate 65. She lay at the bottom of an embankment, her head in the water of a ditch, wearing only a bright green tank top and bright green socks. An examination determined she was white, about 5 foot 6 inches tall, and 130 pounds, probably between 17 and 22 years old. Her hair was reddish-brown, and very short, just two inches in length. She was likely killed two to four days before she was discovered, but the cause of death wasn't evident. It was, however, listed as suspicious. Over the next several years, multiple attempts were made by many individuals and agencies to establish an identification for the unknown young woman. And when DNA started coming of age, her body was exhumed and Indiana State Police were able to obtain a traditional profile from those remains. The case was submitted to NamUs, but the DNA profile didn't match anyone known to the database Over the years, more than one facial reconstruction was created and released to the public, but nobody recognized the young woman. In 2019, the Boone County Sheriff's Office attempted forensic genetic genealogy, but as exciting as that new technology is, it's not guaranteed Nobody in the publicly available database left a trail that would lead to their Jane Doe. So, a couple of years later, the Sheriff's Department decided to try again, this time partnering with Othram. Skeletal remains were sent to the lab. They extracted their own DNA and built a family tree. This time, it worked. They found a candidate family in Toledo, a family missing a teenage girl, 17-year-old Margaret Ann Snagowski, Maggie to her loved ones. Maggie's sister had submitted her DNA to a popular online database that offers users a peek into their ancestry. That act finally opened a window In April of 2022, a direct DNA comparison between family members confirmed the connection. Maggie was the youngest of eight siblings growing up in Toledo. She was still in high school and just one month shy of her 18th birthday when she vanished. Her family described her as outgoing, independent, tough, with a great sense of humor and often leaving her siblings in stitches. She left one day in 1992, and her family wasn't sure if she'd come to harm or had run away. However, she hadn't taken anything with her, and it was their best guess that someone wasn't letting Maggie come back home. Still, the family never had a memorial service for her they'd never given up hope that they might see her again. For Boone County Sheriff Mike Nielsen, Maggie's cases marked the bookends of his career. It was one of the first violent cases he was involved with. Stayed close to his heart over the years. And when he became sheriff in 2015, he had her remains exhumed a second time. Now, As his career is winding down, he said he's happy to know it is no longer a Jane Doe case, but an active homicide investigation. Though Maggie's cause of death remains officially undetermined, Sheriff Nilsen said there are indications she was strangled. Maggie's brother, Lenny, grew emotional at a press conference that announced his sister's identity in April of 2022. Anybody that knows my family knows we don't forget, he said. These guys, he said, referring to Boone County investigators, are coming after you. She was not trash. She was a beautiful, loving, funny, upbeat person who didn't deserve her fate. Now the work begins to find the lowlife who did this.
0: That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com. We are also proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you would like to hear more podcasts like ours, check out killerpodcasts.com. Be sure to tune in Wednesday for our 10-minute mysteries, and we will see you next week for another full episode.